Industry-focused things are sponsored. Data Site One from Merrill Corporation, the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. To learn more and sign up for a free demo, go to MerrillCore.com slash full. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, July the 31st, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going? It's going really well. How about you, Shannon? How was your trip? Did you get uh, to see any sharks? No sharks. Lots of surfers, though. Got to go out to California, uh, Huntington Beach. And uh, thank you for whoever was on Twitter. I think her name was Lisa, who'd reached out with some recommendations. Um, Highly, highly recommend Huntington Beach, California. My first time out there. Got a lot of sun. Saw a lot of surfers. There was, I think, the Vans U.S. Open Surfing Competition happening across the street from my hotel. So that was really cool. But... uh, Tired, but glad to be back here because, of course, as soon as I leave, we get merger news that happens (laughs) and more stuff happening in the marijuana industry. So glad to be back, Todd. Um, Let's just dive right in because for today's show, it is about Merger Monday, which held true this week. uh, News coming out of the pharma industry for pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and uh, generic manufacturer at Milan. And then we'll also dive into the marijuana industry with more company headlines of the not-so-positive sort and some news in the edible space as well. But Todd, let's kick things off with Pfizer. So that is ticker symbol PFE. It announced on Monday that it's joining forces in an all-stock deal with Mylan. That's ticker symbol MYL. Basically, Todd, this is a deal that marries the off-patent side of Pfizer's business with Milan's, I guess you can call it the beaten-down generic side of their business, into one newly formed, yet-to-be-named generic powerhouse. Well, at least that's what they hope. But Todd, before we dive into the deal, what uh, NUCO will look like once this deal is actually done, let's get all of our listeners up to speed, because I think for Milan, it's really about what has been their kind of bread and butter, um, or at least the one making the most headlines, again, not so positive, but EpiPen. Todd, what can you tell us about that drug? Because it is life-saving, but it has attracted all the attention for all the wrong reasons, too. You nailed it right there. Absolutely. Kicking off in 2016 as part of the presidential campaign and people talking and pushing back very strongly against runaway drug prices. And one of the drugs that was front and center in that conversation was EpiPen, which is basically a shot of adrenaline that can be given uh, into the thigh muscle um, for per- people who are suffering you know, from life-threatening allergic reactions. So you've got say, a nut allergy or whatnot, and you happen to come into contact with nuts and you go into shock, then they can use this EpiPen to save your save your life. And the thing that's interesting, or, or I guess, hmm, interesting is the wrong word, <laughs> frustrating, maybe, Jim? Perfect word. word. <laughs> yeah, frustrating about the way that this all shook out is that, you know, Mylan's got, you know, it's one of the biggest of the generic drug makers. EpiPen was not a generic. Um, it was a, a you know brand brand medicine, but it has been around for a very long time. I mean, epinephrine, which it's based on, was discovered way back in 1904. 
I mean, <laughs> that's how long that 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 this has been. You know, the the basic component to it has been uh, known. And EpiPen itself was first developed in 1980, so you know, 40 40 some odd years ago. And uh, Mylan picked up that drug back in 2007 uh, when sales were just only about 200 million at the. If you look at the way that prices have trended since 2009, you've seen the price for this life-saving medication go from $100 for a two-pack in January 2009 to you know $600 back in 2016 when you know everybody finally caught wind of what was going on and 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 brought it into the spotlight. Um, obviously, not a good look to know that. You know, Mylan was going out and lobbying, spending big bucks to get state legislatures to pass uh, laws um, to, to supply EpiPen within the school systems, and then going out at the same time and increasing the price of EpiPen um, by, you know, what's seemingly an absurd amount, given the fact that there was no innovation. I mean, it was a st- still the same pen. Um Roughly, uh, so you know th- there were there was a degree of absurdity there, and then you look at these the CEO, who actually will be stepping down as part of this combination, and her you know salary her compensation had increased from two point four million back in 07 to about nineteen million, so you had this this all of this kind of dynamic just get thrown into the spotlight, um, and that really took a toll on shareholders and because the share price you know collapsed, and despite you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men's trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, you know, the stock has just been, you know, continually disappointing for investors. And um, probably not too shocking that a deal like the one that just got announced actually got done, given that, you know, the <laughs> Milan stock was trading, I think, a 0.75 price to book ratio before this deal was announced. And trading at less than one time sales. Which is amazing. I mean, Milan share price, I think it's down almost, what, 75% off of its highs back in 2015. Um, and it's certainly not been the only, um, I guess, generic drug manufacturer of its kind to take some hits. I mean, really, the entire industry has been trying to um, uh, save itself, if you will. And so you've seen a lot of consolidation, a lot of these mergers happening. Uh, Teva is another example, a uh, company, I think it's down almost, I want to say over 80% since uh, maybe July of 2015. So, I mean, they've they've been hampered for a number of different reasons, which we'll get into for in a second. But before we do, let's just talk about what this new combined company will look like. We've talked about EpiPen. Um, for Pfizer, this is their off-patent drug division, also known as Upjohn. Um, sells things like their cholesterol drug Lipitor, Blockbuster there, Viagra, Celebrex. Um, Milan is bringing really more than 7,500 products, including some biosimilars, generics, some brand name and over-the-counter products as well. Uh, combined, um, this will be selling products in about 165 markets with expected revenue 19 to 20 billion potential expense savings of a billion dollars annually by 2023 and free cash flow expected to be more than 4 billion. Um, so essentially you've got 
Pfizer, who has really been in a series of steps to, um, I think, divest and move away from really its core and really what it wants to focus on, which is the innovative medicine division, and less of this generic um, this generic battle that's just been ongoing for the past several years. So in many ways, you've got kind of two now joining forces to create one combined company, which we'll find out what the creative name will be very soon here, Todd. <laughs> yeah, they said it's going to be announced sometime before the deal closes, whenever that means. Um, Mylan investors are going to have to vote for in favor of the deal for it to go through. Pfizer's investors will not. Uh, the new company is going to end up taking on $12.5 billion in new debt uh, when it's formed. That 12 and a half, I think, I think it's 12, 12 or 12 and a half. That's going to flow back to Pfizer. Um, so it's possible you know, that maybe some of that shows up in the form of a special dividend or, or help support Pfizer's dividend at some point down the road. But you know, Pfizer is, is contributing about $8 billion of that expected $20 billion in pro forma sales next year. And Mylan's you know, contributing the other $12 billion. And as you mentioned, it's going to create a very interesting company with, a, with big global reach. And I think one of the things that the two companies are hoping is that you know, Mylan's got a really big uh, presence in North America and Europe, uh, especially through some of these new biosimilars that it's been launching out. And I think what they're hoping is that Upjohn having a really big exposure to Asia Pacific, including China, I think Asia Pacific accounts for about 30% of Upjohn sales and 40% of that 30 is China. Um, you know, I think that when you look at having that greater distribution and then leveraging the drugs that Mylan's bringing to the table, I think they're hoping that that's going to allow it to continue to generate out you know, modest revenue growth going forward. I think if you look at the guidance that they outlined in their, in their slide deck, uh, they actually use the term moderate. And to me, moderate, I, I don't, I guess everybody, you know, maybe defines moderate a little bit differently. To me, moderate means say like a 5% per year grower something along that, those lines. I think the real key here is going to be the cash cow nature of this business. You know, I think that you highlighted that they're saying about $4 billion in free cash flow is what they're anticipating right out of the gate. That's a tremendous amount of money, obviously, in free cash flow. And they're saying that they're going to, right out of the gate, 25% of that, or a billion, is going to go right back to Nuco investors in the form of a dividend. So I think that if you can get modest growth, you can leverage uh, from leveraging Mylan's uh, product line into these other emerging markets, um, and then maybe some new products that are com- making their way through through the through the pipeline. Um, then you know they, there's I think one of the thing other things they said too, Shannon, was that they anticipate about three billion in additional new product launches in by 2023. So you know you've got you know twenty billion going to twenty three billion. Obviously, that's going to create more free cash flow, higher dividend. So I think investors really have the decision here is going to be okay. It doesn't mean a lot to me as a Pfizer shareholder because it's going to get spun off, and maybe that just means it creates a you know top line revenue headwind that I'm going to have to make sure that I model. So I'm not surprised come two thousand twenty one when things start to drop off. Um, but you know, okay, I'm gonna get you know Pfizer's gonna get some money, so maybe I'll just stick around. It's not gonna mean much to me. And then for Mylan, you need to decide whether or not you think that you should just cut bait and accept your losses in the stock and and move on, uh, or take the one share for every share of Mylan that you're gonna get in Nuco, and then just hope that the modest growth and the dividends end up making you back your money over time. 
And if you remember back in 2015, wasn't it Teva that actually was attempting to buy them out? And I think it was about a $40 billion buyout deal um, that did not pan out. When you look at this deal based on Monday's close, right now that values Milan at about $11 billion. So I think for uh, Milan shareholders, it's pretty much if if you're looking at this deal, maybe I just go ahead and take what I can right now. If you don't think that this consolidated company with the, you know, combined forces plus synergies, cost savings and all of that will make sense long term. But I mean, quite a dramatic drop uh, back just from 2015. And even you brought up the emerging market space. And I think that's important because in China, um, you do have a lot of low quality generics. And really, in China, consumers will do tend to gravitate more now to brands where they can trust. And so, Upjohn was created in hopes of really capitalizing on that growing market there in China. So that, to me, that entire market there is extremely interesting and one to watch. But I think all in all, um, for Pfizer, this is really about being able to focus on those innovative medicines. Um, They actually did the recent Array Biopharma acquisition for $10.6 billion recently to really focus in specialized cancer treatments um, and really, again, try to come away from this generics and the things that are going off patent. Um, For the generic business, though, there have been so many headwinds. Um, First and foremost, you have so many um, companies right now that are really trying to stave off generic competition. And Todd, you and I have talked about it a number of times on the show. They're getting really creative uh, for how they stave off generic competition. This is creating a lot of headwinds for a lot of these generic companies, which is really driving um, a lot of them to merge, join forces, and really leverage their size to negotiate and bargain on pricing. Um, there was one stat, delaying generic competition for even as little as six months could be worth half a billion dollars in sales for a blockbuster drug. So the incentive for a lot of these branded companies um, to be creative and stave off competition is certainly there. You have Indian makers also grabbing market share. Todd, you talked about the pricing pressure. You have a lot of middlemen right now um, who are also joining forces and really being able to negotiate and bargain prices there as well. And even the FDA, I think, has been trying to to help in some ways, aiming to cut drug review cycle times down to open up the door for more generic competition. But all in all, these are companies that are just hurting. And so by being able to join forces, they can leverage their size and scale to find those cost savings and hopefully gain some market share. But we'll we'll have to see with this one. Um, I think anytime I see big biopharma mergers, I'm always a little bit skeptical only because they tend not to work out. And all the potential savings uh, just in synergies just never tend to pan out the way that we expect. So I'm a little skeptical on this one, but I can't blame them for trying. Yeah. And I would just simply add that as an investor, make sure you you think about the reason that you got into this stock in the first place, if you happen to be a shareholder of Mylan. You know, did you, for me, for example, I own shares. So my decision is going to be, okay, why did I get into it? And what's the future look like now as once it combines with Upjohn? I got into it because I really believe that biosimilars could be a needle mover for Mylan, right? Now it's a much larger company. The biosimilars have been a little bit slower to be adopted than you know I would have mo- I modeled originally. I did not buy this for uh, the potential for dividend growth. 
Um, so I'm going to have to make a decision on whether or not I want to adjust my thesis, which is dangerous, um, or, or punt my shares at, at a loss. And I think that it's very important for investors. That's why we always say keep a diary, right? So you can go back, take a look at the reasons behind it, why you bought the stock, and then see if you're willing to accept changing your thesis. Because I don't think the thesis maybe that you had back in 2016 is going to be the same for what drives the stock forward from 2020 to, say, 2030. Yeah, totally agree, Todd. It's so important to keep a, a journal and really important to go back and check your thesis. When these mergers happen, when um, you see major changes, it's always about going back to that journal to figure out why did I invest in this in the first place. So glad you brought that up. And uh, we'll have to see what you do here, Todd. I'm curious to see what you decide to do with those shares. So yeah, keep us posted. All right, on the other side of the break, we'll switch gears into the marijuana industry. But first, a quick word from our friends at Data Site One. Motley Fool's industry focus thinks our sponsor Data Site One from Merrill Corporation, the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. To learn more and sign up for a free demo, go to MerrillCorp.com slash full. Our team had a chance to sit down for an expert demo, and it's easy to see just how valuable this service is. New projects for DataSite One can literally be set up in minutes. It has easy document uploads and organization. DataSite One has simple, intuitive uploading and document organization with drag and drop controls to organize your data room and powerful tools for managing folder and document access permissions. And in today's environment, there's nothing more critical than ironclad security. Multi-level controls and permissions prevent accidental information sharing, and advanced watermarking provides added security to your documents. And finally, there's 24-7, 365-day omni-channel support with leading expertise. That's right. Customer service is provided in 14 local languages with expert input as a global industry leader. To learn more about DataSite One and sign up for a free demo, go to MerrillCorp.com slash full. Speak to an expert at DataSite One like our team did and learn how to accelerate your due diligence. Again, that's M-E-R-R-I-L-L-C-O-R-P dot com slash full to sign up for a free personalized demo. We thank Merrill Corp for their support. All right, Todd. So in the news, we've got the marijuana companies again making headlines. This time it's Hexo Corp. That's ticker symbol H-E-X-O. It's the latest marijuana company to come under the gun. This time the brunt of a short seller attack. Todd, before we get into the uh, short seller claims, seems like this summer has been one just mired in scandal and conflict. Last week, we talked about CanTrust. Now it's Hexo. I mean, I'm not terribly surprised just given, you know, the infancy of the industry itself and trying to emerge out of the legal illicit market into the legal limelight. But it just seems like the hits keep on coming. Yeah, these companies are trying to move too fast, perhaps. Um, and you can't blame them for wanting to. It's a major market opportunity. There's a lot of money at stake in Canada alone. The market is worth about six billion Canadian dollars per year, and the vast majority of that is still uh, done illegally. Although you can now buy recreational use marijuana throughout Canada as of last October, and I think what's really interesting or important for investors to to you know bear in mind is that 
yeah, okay, you had a lot of excitement leading up into the the approval of the recreational or the opening of the recreational market last fall. And you kind of had that buy the rumor and now you're at the point where you're selling the news, meaning that, you know, if you had this, a slowdown and you had supply shortages at the beginning of the the launch of the recreational market, then you had a slowing in 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 month over month sales in the in the first quarter relative to the to the last quarter of last year. And then of course now uh, we covered last week can trust debacle where um, they you know were caught growing marijuana in unlicensed rooms and you know that's still shaking out. But their CEO, as we uh, said last week, needed to go be shown the door. He sure enough was uh, and is no longer with the company. And they announced today that they are actually going to explore strategic alternatives. So I mean, the it's a ripe environment, I suppose, for short sellers to take aim and say these companies are young and they're making mistakes and make sure let's see if we can get out in front of this and capitalize it and make some money on the short side. I think that, you know, and Shannon, we've talked about this, I'm sure, at one point or another. Whenever you're reading any kind of report, if it's from a, a sell side report, you need to know that they might have a relationship with the company that, you know, although it's not supposed to, could be influencing how many of these analysts put a buy rating on a company, for example. And then if you look at a short seller's report and you say, okay, well, what's their skin in the game? Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting. Our colleague, Sean Williams, had written an article, I think at the beginning of this month, talking about the the big surge in short interest at Hexo. Probably not surprising that, you know, if some of those shares that were uh, recently sold short were sold short by the companies, the company that issued this short report on Hexo. And I'm sure we're going to get into what it was that the short seller was saying. I guess I'll let you tee that up, Shannon. Yes, absolutely. So the short seller basically alleged that Hexo ran these uh, aggressive product promotions on Snapchat, the social media platform, and potentially violated Canadian marijuana advertising regulations. And these regulations do prohibit advertising in any way that associates a product or a brand with what they call glamour, recreation, risk, excitement, or daring behaviors. I like that language there. Um, But really, the short seller also questioned whether minors were exposed to these ads on the Snapchat platform. Um, I think this is an area... Where, of course, you know, short sellers always have their own agenda. But I do think from a regulatory side, especially after seeing the debacle here in the United States with Juul, um, the the um, uh, smokeless mm. tobacco cigarettes, I don't know, e-cigarettes, I guess you can call them, um, and how they were marketed to minors, I am not surprised to see um, short sellers, really anyone, jump on any company that in any way, shape, form, or fashion could be targeting, whether intentionally or not, minors. Um, And so that was kind of the allegation. Hexo did respond, um, saying that they are, of course, very diligent about adhering to the rules and regulations surrounding cannabis promotion, both federally and within a province. Um, It did say it doesn't advertise on Snapchat or run any promotional campaigns in its home province of Quebec, where it's based. And it does have an agreement with Snapchat to ensure its ads are only seen by adults in provinces where they are permitted. So Hexo is is um, fighting back on this. But of course, you know, like you mentioned, and I, I think it's an important point, short seller interest um, really ran very high leading up to this report. So not terribly surprising. But I think it's par for course, especially when you saw um, just how explosive many of these 
top tier, second tier companies like Hexo exploded onto the scene and the returns. It was really more a matter of time before the short sellers really came out and made their attacks. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Hexo, Hexo's got a lot of moving pieces, and the Quebec angle is very important to understand, listeners, because Quebec is, accounts for the, the majority of Hexo's sales. Uh, I think 90% currently, uh, although they knew have, are now expanding into other provinces. Quebec is still a big driver, and they have a, a preferred supplier agreement with Quebec um, that is a big driver of their of their sales right now. And one of the things that's important to, to recognize, especially for us here in the US, is that Quebec's approach as a state government to regulating cannabis has been much stricter than Canada as a whole. So the federal rules or the national rules have been a little bit looser than what Quebec has put in, into, into play. Um, and I think that that's something that listeners need to recognize, that it could be that Quebec then looks at this, and if it finds that maybe Hexo did go up to that line and maybe dip its toes over the line when it comes to you know advertising. I mean, it seems like they want basically black and white you know, ads with no imagery or no anything, right? They just want, you know, sawdust like advertising for this stuff. Um, and if they decide that they did cross the line on that, what could end up happening? Does that put their supply agreement in jeopardy? Uh, what what could that mean for the, the company going forward to its revenue? I mean, this is a company that had gross revenue of about 15 million last quarter Canadian. Uh, it's a revenue run rate of about 60 million on gross. And they're saying that fist, they were projecting up until now, they haven't, you know, obviously affirmed this after this revelation. Um, they were projecting that fiscal year sales would reach Canadian 400 million. So 60 million run rate to 400 million run rate in the next year. So there was a lot of excitement behind that. And then, of course, there's other components, and we're going to get to it in a second, I'm sure, Shannon, right? Talking about the relationship that they have with trust which is the joint venture they did with Coors. And, you know, they've been a big, big um, betting big on this whole concept of moving marijuana from just dried flour to being used as an ingredient in other consumer goods products. And that is really, I think, the key moving forward for Hexo um, with their cannabis-infused beverages. So as Canada prepares for the second wave of legalization, as it's being called, with this derivative markets um, that um, could be signed into law in October, although we probably won't see anything on shelves until December at the earliest at this point. Um, Hexo was the first major cannabis producer to, to ink a deal with a brand name beverage company, and that was Molson Coors Brewing. And this is potentially a $3 billion market. And for Hexo, they have this, this hub-and-spoke strategy where for them, they have plans to partner with a deep-pocketed um, uh, friend, if you will, for all of their products, including edibles, vapes, health and wellness. And of course, this somewhat limits, I think, their upside potential. But for them, it also kind of offsets some of the downside risk as they are able to sign more partners. We'll have to see if that continues beyond Molson Coors. Um, but for them, it's really been about this derivative markets they um signed a number of deals in preparation for this, and particularly in preparation for edibles, which is important also from a Quebec front, because Quebec recently announced that they are actually banning certain types of edibles when legalization happens. Specifically, they are wanting to ban any sort of edible that could be attractive to minors. So we're talking about your sweets, your chocolates, 
you know, know, pot-infused brownies, candies, ice cream even, and even really additives that would alter the smell or flavor of products. And as you mentioned, Todd, Quebec is probably the most restrictive when it comes to regulations related to the industry. So no surprise that they are coming out now and saying basically – even if it's legal federally in Canada, we're going to be much more restrictive and make sure that minors are protected. Um, even topicals won't be allowed for sale in Quebec uh, currently. That could change. Quebec has been one to come out with these proposals that do tend to be much more restrictive, and then they tend to become more flexible later on. But we'll have to wait and see what that what that looks like moving forward. But I think for Hexo being based out of Quebec. Um, having now potentially this overhang on the regulatory front from advertising and also the province stating that they're going to be banning certain types of edibles. I think you've got more question marks for a company that I think all in all um, has been one of the better companies within the industry overall. Yeah, these big bets and investments they've been making to boost their capacity, I think they're targeting 150,000 kilograms of annualized capacity once... um once all everything's said and done, and that's you know, I mean, I think they produced ten thousand last quarter. So I mean, this is huge investments that they're making, and a lot of these are for those derivative products that now in Quebec, where they have the best brand uh, recognition because of their big market share, they may not be able to launch those. It's, this is going to be very interesting. I mean, if you look at their uh, earnings conference call, they must have mentioned Fortune five hundred consumer goods companies. 10 times. I mean, at least crazy. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I mean, this is this is a huge, huge bet for them. And now you have Quebec coming out and saying, listen, we're not only going to be very restrictive. If it tastes good, we don't want you selling it. <laughs> you know, uh, what's that going to mean for some of these beverages? I mean, I don't know if you've ever taken CBD drops, but I have. And they do not taste good. They do not own. taste good. Um, I can confirm. <laughs> yes, they are not good tasting. So, you know, what's this going to mean for the beverages and trusts? I mean, you're putting it, you're just going to put CBD drops inside of water and then sell it on the store shelf? That's not going to taste good. Um, you know, can you add? They don't want you putting additives like colors or, 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 or flavors or sweeteners or anything like that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Trust navigates. Is this game over for, for, for Hexo? No, I don't think so. I mean, I... I think the short selling report on the uh, on the advertising maybe that's going to be a slap on the wrist kind of thing. We did see their co-founder and chief chief brand strategist or whatever walk away from uh, the company earlier this month. No idea if there was any kind of relation <laughs> to to what was what's going on now, but I mean something something to be aware of. So maybe there is a little bit of smoke that could that indicate fire on that front, but I don't think that's a deal breaker, not to the degree it was with CanTrust, um, at least not at this point. And then, you know, you do still have plenty of opportunities for Hexo to market products in the U.S. They're thinking they could launch U.S. products in eight states next year uh, using hemp as their as their source for CBD. And there's still plenty of running room in these other provinces, although Quebec is the second largest uh, market in Canada. You still have the opportunity on Taro and other places. Yeah, so a, a lot to watch here. I'm with you. I think um, the short seller report is more noise than, um, I think, 
newsworthy at this point. I do think they'll probably get some sort of slap on the wrist. Um, although with CanTrust, I would not be surprised if if uh, Health Canada was a little bit more heavy-handed, really to send a message to a lot of these cannabis producers um, holistically. But all in all, I think for a Hexo, the bigger question is what do they do strategically with Quebec, and then how do they start to pivot? And and really, this will be a long string of news and headlines that we'll see within the industry. Again, you've got these companies trying to figure out regulators, regulators trying to figure out these companies, and it's all kind of coming together at a head right now. Um, So I I suspect really the latter part of this year will continue to get more negative noise more than ever as the hype cycle starts to wear off. But if anything, if you're an investor in this space, I think this could also present some compelling buying opportunities for the companies who are doing it right, who are following the regulations, and for those who are really cementing their way strategically, um, both in terms of the hemp CBD strategy and even from a regulatory strategy here in the U.S. on a state-by-state level. So a lot to watch here, and uh, we'll certainly keep everybody up to date. And as for us, that'll do it for this week's Industry Focus. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. 